Thank you, David, so much for leading us in that time of praise and worship. I know how important praise and worship has been for me during these very just tumultuous and unpredictable times. And I would encourage you, by the way, even throughout the week, if you're feeling troubled, if you're sensing anxiety, if you're overwhelmed by the cares of the world and the things that are going on, I would highly encourage you to go back to our studies and go to the praise and worship as David's been leading us in song and praise. I just, I was doing that the other day. I just needed to worship the Lord. I just needed spontaneously to come before the Lord, to focus on him, to invest my heart in his kingdom. And praise really helps us to do that. It reminds us that Jesus is king. And so I would encourage you, friends, even go back to these uh, services, go to the praise and worship portions of them. And I encourage you throughout your week, anytime you're feeling overwhelmed through praise and worship, be led to the rock that is higher than you. So again, so thankful for David leading us during these times. And today, friends, what I want to do, um, and, and again, in the midst of everything that's going on, we want to continue our study of God's Word. And last year, we began a new study before the whole pandemic situation began. We began a study in the book of Exodus that I titled, Following Jesus, Leading Like Moses. That actually began in January, if you can believe it, of 2020, so a few months before. And then we got into the holidays, of course, and then there were a number of times where it felt like uh, the Lord was leading to put it on pause and to address some things that were happening uh, in the world around us. Uh, but I do believe, as we want to continue to be discipled by Jesus uh, so that we're faithful witnesses to him during these times. I think it's important we get back to our study of the book of Exodus and see what the Lord has for us there. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up at this time to the book of Exodus chapter 20, and we'll pick up where we left off, which is going to be verses 18 through 26. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 26. I'll begin by reading the verse, the passage aloud, and then we'll pray and we'll get into our study for this morning. This is God's word. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we believe that you want to speak to your people. Lord, I believe that as so many are right now, I, I believe that it's easy to take our eyes off of you and cast them upon other things. Lord, we are reminded of the Apostle Peter who saw you walking upon the seas of Galilee and he felt within himself by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit a faith that desired to follow Jesus even if it meant stepping out of the boat and walking on water. But Lord, in that story, we also know that we see in Peter what we so often see in ourselves and that is a diminishing faith. And as Peter took his eyes off of you, Lord, he began to look down at the troubled waters. And as he did that, as he took his eyes off of you, and as he looked at the troubling waters, he began to sink. But Lord, we thank you that the story did not end there. That even when disciples take their eyes off of you and their eyes are on the troubled waters around them, you, Lord, in your love, reach down into the troubled waters and you pull your people up that they might be with you. And so, Lord, that's what I would pray this morning. As we read this word, as we study it, as we see what you have said and what you have done and what you want to do in your church today, we pray that you would grant an ear to those who would hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. We pray we would look to you, Jesus, increase our faith that we might be profitable servants for the good of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a long time since we studied the book of Exodus, and just a reminder of where we are in the story of Exodus. And again, even if you're not terribly familiar with the Bible, you probably would know the general events that we're discussing. So, of course, the Ten Commandments are, are very famous. They're very famous in American culture. Ten Commandments for many years uh, were on halls of courtrooms and uh, office buildings in Washington, D.C., etc. And even though some of those things have been taken down, some of those things remain to this very day. Of course, even Hollywood itself has made movies about the Ten Commandments. We know the stories of uh, the, the plagues that were pronounced upon Egypt, many movies and stories done about that as well. And so that's really where we are. The Ten Plagues have already occurred. Israel has been brought out of Egypt. God has now brought his people through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And God has just finished giving Israel the famous Ten Words or the Ten Commandments at Sinai. And that's right where we picked up today. After the last of the Ten Commandments was given, we have our passage before us today. Now, before we actually dive into the study, I want to read a quote to you by a famous evangelical leader, and I want to read the quote. It's not a quote from the Bible, so it's a quote from a e famous evangelical leader, and I just want to ask you the question, does this statement resonate with you today? So does this statement resonate with you today? Quote, evangelical Christianity is once again as in the early days of church history, a minority movement in a universally antagonistic environment, that much is certain. What is not so clear is whether the global crisis marks the terminus of Western culture only, or whether it presages also that end of the age when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. 
The answer to this question holds tremendous implications. Is it too late for Christianity to reintroduce into earthly history before the advent of Christ depths of meaning as at the highest reaches of medieval culture and yet more at the Reformation, which can be found only in the message of a supernatural salvation? Is evangelicalism's only message today the proclamation of individual rescue from a foredoomed generation, or has this evangel implications also for the most pressing social problems of our day? End quote. Does that quote resonate with you or not? If that quote resonates with you, it was given by the late evangelical leader Carl F.H. Henry, in the year 1948. Those words in my mind could have been just as easily written yesterday. And so Christians often find, even in American history, themselves on the margins, in uncomfortable circumstances, with all kinds of hostile forces pressing in on them and making them feel as though they are a stranger in their own country. And so what resources does the Bible give to believers who feel like a stranger in their own earthly country? And friends, I actually believe that is what is being offered to us today in Exodus 20, 18 through 26. That what we are being reminded of is something that is central to the Christian. It is something that is pertinent. It is something that if we lose it now, we may not gain it back. And that something is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So the key for this morning is going to be found in verse 20. So I want you to take a highlighter or a pencil or if you're on a tablet and just highlight it there. Verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Now, here's my thesis for this morning. The fear of the Lord leads to holiness, but the fear of the world leads to sin. Let me say that again. The fear of the Lord leads to holiness, but the fear of the world leads to sin. Now, we'll get back around to our focus on that, but let's look at what's happening here in this text before us this morning. Now it says in verse 18, now all the peoples witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Now what is happening is the Ten Commandments have been given and now they're sort of being ratified by this manifestation of God's presence. That is God's presence in this terrible, natural, supernatural phenomenon. So it's sort of the supernatural. So it's God who's transcendent, who's not a part of the world, who's not a created thing. The supernatural presence of God is breaking in and manifesting itself through what we can to some extent describe as natural phenomena. See, the, the earth quaking and, and fire and smoke and whether it was lightning or, or something else, which perhaps from the Hebrew it could be, whatever 
whatever's happening, what it, what it represents, friends, is the presence of God manifesting itself and ratifying the covenant. It is God placing his signature, as it were, upon the Ten Commandments. Now, if in case you forgot, this phenomenon began before the giving of the Ten Commandments. So it was there inaugurating it. It was saying it was God's presence bearing witness that what was about to be said was the word of God for the people in covenantal union with his people Israel. And then after the laws are given of the Ten Commandments, God once again is ratifying it through this Phenomena. Now, real quick, if you want, turn to chapter 19 of Exodus and let's look real quickly at verses 16 through 20 so you can be reminded again that this is the presence of God and that it began before the giving of the law. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Again, so we see the same phenomena there in our passage today that was taking place before God did it. So this is God's presence ratifying the covenant. And it says, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, verse 17, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Now notice the very careful distinction there. Even though God is sort of manifesting his presence through this phenomena, the scripture is careful to say, but God is not the fire. He is not the clouds. He is not the smoke. He is not the trumpet. It actually makes a distinction. It says, and when the blast came, louder and louder then the lord came down so he he's he's related to the manifestation of these things but he's not identical to them and that is important because some of the pagan peoples would actually identify say baal for example with the phenomenon of lightning him itself so we want to make sure though god is manifesting his presence through this phenomenon he's not to be equated with it he is still transcendent he is still to be distinct from these phenomena. Now, the the reason I want to point out that all of this, this natural phenomena is representing God's presence and his ratification of the covenant is because this is not the first time that we've seen this. Actually, if you go to Genesis 15, and I'd like you to do that, so hold your place in our text this morning and turn to your left until you arrive at Genesis chapter 15. Now, what is happening in Genesis chapter 15 is God is ratifying his covenant with Abraham. He's already made a promise to Abraham, but Abraham is wrestling with assurance. Abraham essentially says, Lord, how will I know that you're going to come through? on this and that's where God gives him the covenant 
And so if you look there, what I want you to notice is that there is a similarity between this appearance of God to Abraham as he ratifies this covenant, and he also specifically tells Abraham about Israel's future plight in Egypt and how God will bring them to Sinai and make a covenant with them. So again, what you're actually seeing in Exodus in this section is sort of a continuation of the story of Abraham. So look at Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to them, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them. And they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down, listen to this, friends, it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. Now that word translated burning torch, lapid, is actually the same word being used in Exodus 20 in our passage where the New King James translates it's lightnings, but it's actually the word for torches, which is quite interesting. And I think it's important to point that out, not because perhaps the phenomena witnessed by the Israelites didn't look like lightning. Maybe it did, but linguistically, the reason Moses uses that word in Exodus, I believe, is he's pointing us back to God's promise to Abraham. And he's showing us that this is a continuation and a fulfillment of God's promise to him. So it came to pass when the sun went down, verse 17, it was dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So going back to our passage this morning, what we're seeing is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. And he's fulfilling it in a way that helps us to understand that it is the same God, Yahweh, being faithful to Abraham. Though Abraham is dead, God's word and prediction of the future is coming true. And even though Abraham is dead, God is ever faithful and he is bringing about a fulfillment of his promise to Israel. And as I said, I think the important point for us to make here is the role of the fear of the Lord. In other words, what Moses says in verse 20 is that this was done in such a way as to intentionally elicit a fear in the Lord. Look again at verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that his fear may be before you. Why? Because God just likes to scare people for no reason? No. So that you may not sin. 
So friends, the reason God was appearing here in the way that he did was to create a fear of the Lord. Now, no doubt Israel, like you and I, can be scared of many things. We know certainly that Israel was scared of Egypt. They were scared of Pharaoh. They were scared of Pharaoh's armies. They were scared of dying in the wilderness. They were scared of the Red Sea and having their backs up against it. They were scared regularly of many things. And you will notice that the fear of the world, the fear of other things, whether it's Pharaoh or starving or the Red Sea or the, the thunderings and the smoking light, whatever it is, the fear of those other things can cause them to sin. And so it's so important for God's people, whether ancient Israel or Christians today, that we recover the fear of the Lord. Because the problem is, many things will happen in life, and I believe many are happening right now as I speak, that are drawing people's attention, and people are beginning to fear these things more than they fear God. But friends, if we fear other things more than we fear God, there is a moral, spiritual consequence to be paid. If we fear the events of the world more than the Lord, we will inevitably sin. But if we fear the Lord more than we fear anything in the world, it actually leads to holiness. Now, interesting, as I mentioned, there's this connection between Exodus 20 and the covenant at Sinai and the Abrahamic covenant recorded in Genesis 15. Now, let's, let's reflect on Abraham for a moment. Because Abraham, as you know, is referred to as the father of faith, and he really was in so many ways. And yet we also see in the scriptures that Abraham was a frail man that Abraham sometimes would lapse in his faith. And I would like to recall to you a time in Genesis chapter 20 in which Abraham feared the world more than he feared God. Now, and I want to make one more move on this note. Not only were there times in Abraham's life when he feared the world more than God, but I want to tell you why. I want to tell you why. Abraham's thinking, when he, when he stopped fearing God for a moment, when he had a lapse in his faith, when he had a lapse of the fear of God, it was because he feared the world. It was because he feared the world more than God. Now, you and I can do that too. Now, listen why he did it, at least in this instance. He looked at the world. He looked at others, people in positions of political power, military power, capable of using force and even taking Abraham's life. He was scared of them. And rather than fearing God, he feared them. And what he said to himself is, well, they don't fear the Lord. And that scares me. See, these people are pagans and they don't fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not in them. So I'm going to allow my fear of them and the fact that they don't fear the Lord to rule my life. And when that happens, Abraham fails in his faith. Let's look at this story in brief. So the story is the story of Abraham sojourning in the land of Abimelech. And this actually happens multiple times in Abraham's life where he, he has a beautiful wife, Sarah. Again, he, he certainly thinks so. He's like, my, my wife is gorgeous. And everywhere I go, guys want to kill me because she, she's so beautiful. And when I go down to this guy, this king Abimelech, and we think that's probably what 
the name actually means. It's probably a title, not just a name. So if you read Abimelech multiple times, uh, when clearly it's centuries after another Abimelech, it's not because the Bible's erred. It's because it's probably a title that's used for multiple people. Nevertheless, he's in the land of this king that we'll just call Abimelech, and he's scared. And Abraham, listen to what he says, uh, Genesis 20, verses 10 through 11. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? So Abraham has lied and said, when he got down there, Abimelech did see his wife and thought Sarai was beautiful. And Abraham lied and said, oh, it's just my sister. And he was about to take him as a wife. And then God cursed Abimelech's house and came to Abimelech in a dream and, and said, you're a dead man. And Abimelech's, what? What did I do? And God reveals, hey, this isn't really Abraham's sister. It's actually his wife. And so, and now Abimelech is like, what have you done? Then Abimelech said, Abraham, what, have, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? Listen to Abraham's reason. This is important for us to understand the thinking process, the moral reasoning behind one of God's chosen people. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. So in other words, here's Abraham, who's supposed to fear God more than he fears anyone else, but he doesn't. He's beginning in this moment to fear the world, namely Abimelech. And the moral reasoning is these people, this guy that I fear, he's got political power, he can kill me. This is not metaphorical, it was literal. And the moral reasoning was, well, they're not Christians, they don't fear the Lord, and, and so I, I can't... I can't, I don't have the luxury of fearing the Lord. That's the idea. Only a naive person would fear the Lord. I need to fear these people. And I know they don't fear the Lord. So I'm going to give up my, my faith, my beliefs, my morality, and I'm going to kind of fight fire with fire, so to speak. And that's the critical error that Abraham makes. He allows the fact that there's people in the world with power who don't believe in God to cause him to lose the fear of the Lord. And I believe this is a critical temptation for followers of Jesus right now at this very moment. I know that many Christians are looking at the current events and they're saying, man, I'm more scared of what's going on in the world than I am of God. I have less fear of the Lord than I have fear of man and fear of the world. Furthermore, I have a moral reasoning process. Well, they don't fear the Lord. They clearly don't. They have no moral boundaries. They have no integrity. They're not going to do things the right way. And so I'm not either. I'm just going to give that up. I'm going to fear them and I'm going to begin and behave according to the lack of their fear of the Lord. But friends, not only are we being warned about that in the story of Abraham, not only are we being warned about that in today's story, Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, but Jesus warned his followers about this similar thing in the Olivet Discourse, famously in Matthew chapter 24. I know many of you know this verse, but just listen to it one more time in the context of what I've been saying. And Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
Now, it's important to understand Jesus is talking about professing followers. The love of professing followers is going to grow cold. How do we know that? Well, first of all, the overall context makes it clear he's talking about his people. Secondly, the word love is actually the famous word that you know. Even if you haven't studied Greek as a language, you know this word agape. The agape of many will grow cold. Wow, that's scary. The idea of God's people losing their love of God. And what's causing it? What is the occasion of it? And Jesus tells us, lawlessness will abound. In other words, because other people do not have the fear of the Lord, that is going to tempt God's people to also not fear the Lord. But friends, what I want to put before you this morning is we must absolutely not abandon the fear of the Lord, but rather we need to recover it. We must fear the Lord more than we fear the world. We must fear the Lord more than we fear what political individuals or parties or or politics or anything else in the world, or cancer or financial disaster or relationship problems. Before anything else, we must fear the Lord. And once again, friends, here is why. The fear of the Lord leads to holiness. The fear of the world leads to sin. Which fear are you choosing? Because at the end of the day, you cannot choose whether you will fear or not. You will fear. You will fear today. You will fear tomorrow. You will fear something. The only real choice you have to make is who or what I will fear most. And for the Christian, for the Bible-believing Christian, we are summoned once and again to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to be his witnesses, to be his people, to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, to share the seed of the word of God, to offer our gifts and talents for the good of the kingdom, and to worship the Lord fervently and consistently. That is what we are called to do. So friends, I just want to come before you this morning and just plead to do something I know that most of you know, but we are tempted not to do. Fear the Lord. Do not fear the world. Do not fear man who at worst can destroy your body, but afterwards can do nothing. But rather, as Jesus says, fear him who can destroy not only body, but both body and soul in hell. It is him we ought to fear. And friends, the beauty is that the fear of the Lord will lead to holiness in our lives. The sad tragedy, as much as we can rationalize why it's okay to fear the world more than God, it leads to sin in our own lives. And that cannot be an option for followers of Jesus Christ who have been purchased with his precious blood. So friends, in whatever is going on, in whatever we do, in whatever ways we feel particularly called to engage or not engage with the many assets of worldly affairs, let us reassert this together with one voice. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. Turn from wickedness. Keep the commandments of the Lord. For his return is soon. Our salvation is drawing nearer than when we first believed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you this morning because I know that myself and all of your people are in need of your presence. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to recover the fear of the Lord. 
that it would lead us to holiness, that it would lead us to greater investment in the growth of your kingdom. Lord, I'm reminded of the vision that you gave to Nebuchadnezzar of that great statue and how each part of that statue represented one of the great kingdoms of the world. But then he saw a rock cut without hands that dashed it all into pieces and it grow up into a mountain that lasted forever. Lord, we are reminded that the only indestructible kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. And so, Lord, let us take comfort that our very lives are built upon the rock that our kingdom is a kingdom that can never be shaken. And so, Lord, let us live for Jesus today with fervency of heart, with total obedience. Let us invest ourselves in sharing the seed of the word of God, offering ourselves and our gifts and talents for the good of the kingdom and worshiping you every day fervently and consistently. Lord, we pray for a blessing upon your people today. May we fear the Lord which leads to holiness and refuse to fear the world which leads to sin. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining with us today. And again, I encourage you, re-listen to this message if you need to. During the week, go back to the time of praise and worship. Encourage yourselves. Be in the Word of God. Read through the Bible. Read through the Psalms every single day. Join us for our various meetings, Bible studies and prayer meetings, as often as you can. Again, real quick, the big announcement is two weeks from today, Lord willing, we will be having our in-person worship service on the 24th. We'll have a special guest speaker and a, a former Navy SEAL and evangelist, Chad Williams. We'll have a special message, very timely, I believe, for our body. We'll have a special worship guest band coming in, the Small Giants. It's going to be a wonderful time of just worshiping the Lord and doing this very thing. Fearing the Lord, not fearing the world, investing in the kingdom that can never be shaken. And I believe that is what we need to do. For those of you that would like to continue to serve the Lord, worship him, and contribute to the growth of his kingdom, there's two ways that you can do that. First of all, you can go onto our website, which is imagechurchoc.com, and there's a giving tab at the top. You can click there and you can give with either your credit or debit card. You can also mail a check or money order to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway. L is in Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California 92694. Again, all that information is on our website, imagechurchoc.com. Uh, join us for our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going through the amazing and timely book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 2, so I encourage you to join us for that. Again, if you have any praise reports, prayer requests or Bible questions, you can either send them through the Facebook Messenger feature on our church page, or you can email us at information at imagechurchoc.com. That's information at imagechurchoc.com. All right, friends, let me just close with this prayer of blessing. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go forward into the world as God's messengers of the good news and hope of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Be sure to share, comment, and like this message. Let's get the word of God out to as many people as we can.